Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side. And from Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Kurt Dupuy. This was an intimidating interview. It was fun. For, for me, not for you. I mean, he's your guy. But the fact that we interviewed like a professional math and statistician dude, I completely nailed a statistics joke. And he laughed. You got him. I, I counted as a win. It was definitely a win. I, that I humbly bowed out after that point. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> fun interview. Uh, Dr. Wayne Winston was my professor in MBA school at Indiana University Kelly School of Business. He's kind of a legendary professor there. I can see why. Yeah, I mean, people. it's funny. People ask about like, because I've gone to MBA business school, you know, how do you choose schools and things like that? And I think one of the big things besides, you know, the job opportunities is also quality of faculty and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it was folks like Dr. Winston that made that experience just incredible. He's, he's clearly a genius. There's no doubt about that. Definitely. He's eccentric and like, I would describe him as eccentric, but in the best way, like he's just, I hope uh, Dr. Agreed. Winston, if you're listening, like, I mean that at the best way possible. Totally agree. Um, but yeah, I mean a, a little bit about him. I just mentioned, you know, he's, he's a professor there at the Kelly school. He still doesn't, he, I think he's retired now, uh, only does some things, but he's won like every teaching award there is out there. Interestingly, he's worked with several NBA basketball teams, including the Dallas Mavericks, the New York Knicks. We didn't ask him about that. I'm going to assume Mark Cuban got him into that because Mark Cuban's also uh, a Kelly grad. We'll so just ask Mark when we have him on the pod. Mark, uh, we're going to we're going to be reaching out to you. But yeah, he's done work with the NBA. He's a Jeopardy winner. He does a ton of work on on Microsoft Excel, how tos, etc. Multiple different books, including his latest. And really, you know, from my perspective, the whole reason that we had him on was, and the focus of our discussion was about decision making, how to make better decisions. So if you want to think about, if you want to learn, if you want to get better in how you approach and how you uh, address decisions, um, that's definitely something we wanted you to take away from this interview. The other thing was getting into Excel, you know. Financial professionals use it to various different degrees, but I've talked to plenty of people, Kurt, that's just like, I want to get better at using Excel. And like, I know there's all kinds of stuff there that I should know that I don't. And it's still like, I don't know, it's still pretty amazing. I know there's all kinds of tech out there, but like the basic Excel, you can get a lot done. It's good bang for your buck. Yeah. Yeah. To, to up your skills there. There's no doubt about it. So anyways, we we had a, a ball with this interview. We hope you'll enjoy it. If you want a copy of Dr. Winston's book after listening to him, you know, reach out to us and we're happy to get you a copy. Yep. And you're listening to us, so you must like us to some degree. So it really helps us out if you subscribe, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and any questions, comments, or critiques on side, not me, uh, feel free to reach out to the whole truth at touchstonefunds.com. And here he is, Dr. Wayne Winston. We are absolutely delighted to have Dr. Wayne Winston on the show. Uh, I took his class in 2008. He is uh, a legendary, legendary professor at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University. 
I did a lot of searches on MBA schools, finally chose Indiana, went to the orientation. And so, you know, they team you up with these second year students and you're asking them questions. Basically, they're there to help you get, you know, integrate into the program. And the one piece of advice, he said, if I can give you one piece of advice, take Winston's class. That was the one piece of advice that Thanks. they gave. Really? Yeah. And and I know, Dr. <laughs> Winston, it's interesting because I listened to you on some shows and you're this amazing professor, but you didn't always start out that way. I heard you made a comment that actually when you started, <laughs> you didn't feel like you were great at all. So how did you evolve into this teacher that's won all these awards, dozens of them? Well, thanks. Because I was, a, I came in this 1970s to give away my age and I was really a pretty terrible teacher. I mean, for a couple of reasons, I was pretty shy and basically I had terrible handwriting. From the time you took my class, we did everything on the computer. My last teacher in college said, write with your other foot. <laughs> so, I mean, I really had bad, pretty bad handwriting. And so, I mean, I just thought about, it. I mean, I was pretty boring in class and we'd write stuff on the board. But then when I started teaching with Excel in 1992, I saw how the stuff I was teaching that was really boring without, like we would solve let's optimization problems by hand which is like the most boring thing in the world, but everybody taught it. But then Excel put in this thing called the solver that would solve them automatically. And then we concentrate on how to set them up. And like for your financial professionals, they know about portfolio optimization, how to find the minimum risk portfolio with a uh, given mean return. And so to do those things by hand or explain them in class would have been just horrible. But in Excel, they're very intuitive to explain and then I think I got to be less shy and I got to be more confident. But mainly with the Excel stuff, I think it was the way I taught the material that made me a good teacher. Then I'd get off the subject. When you were in class, maybe we talked about Gossip Girl. Yeah. He would just start like throwing, hey, did you see this on TV? Like in the middle of a... Uh... Yeah, there's a new Gossip Girl reboot, which I've heard is horrible. <laughs> now I'm watching season two of Ted Lasso, which is really popular. <laughs> Although I don't think... Season two, to me, is not as good as season one, but the reviewers thought it was better. It set the record. I would always ask trivia. So Ted Lasso is now the most Emmy nominations of any TV show in history. It got 20. Is that right? I haven't Here's seen it yet. Tour. I don't have, I got to yeah. see that. Just started a well, second season? Well, it's got to have Apple yeah. TV. And then what show swept the Emmys last year, winning every Emmy it was eligible for? The answer is Shit's Creek. Oh, which I really like that. And that that's which pretty, I mean, that's a good one too. Very uh, well, it's a good heart. They're both good-hearted shows. In today's era of the pandemic, we sort of need good-hearted shows. Absolutely, and that's probably as important as what we're going to talk about. But go ahead. And before we get into the the more serious stuff, because we want to talk about your book, and I've got a, a great little sure. anecdote about your book. But I understand being on Jeopardy was always a big dream of yours in nineteen. 19- oh, yeah. 92 is when I was on was in it? 1992. Yeah, with the, the most epic, like mustard yellow suit jacket. It was fan. It's on YouTube. So for yeah, you, I know. Want to that, go see I had it. a camel. Check it out. It was a camel jacket, and I had an IU color jacket. But I can tell if you want some stories on Jeopardy, I'd love to talk about that. Well, I'm just I'm curious how how that all went about. How did you apply? How long did it take you? Okay, that, that that's a really good story. So I mean, I would come home from elementary school when Art Fleming was the host. And I'd watch it, and I said I wanted to be on this show. And so in the mid-1980s, I met my wife, and I'd go before we got married, I'd go to her apartment. We'd watch every night, and we'd keep score. And I said, I want to be on this goddamn show, this show. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, it's been a lifelong ambition. So 
we went to LA to the tryouts and I passed the test. One out of four people roughly passed the test. Now you can take the test online. So one out of four passed the test. And if you pass the test, there's about one chance in six, then you got on. Now I don't know what the odds are. But so I passed the test in 87, didn't get picked. So then in 1992, they had contestant search in Indianapolis. And so to get into the room and the, the, whatever hotel it was, you had to send in postcards and they would randomly pick 300 people to take the test at this hotel and then interview you. So basically we sent in 300 postcards. So and they picked our <laughs> postcard, my postcard, and I got to take the test. The last day of the month I was eligible, I got a call and I picked it up. I thought it was one of these spam calls, but he said, this is Glenn from Jeopardy. I said, oh, you got to be kidding. <laughs> he said, well, we're going to take your show the end of February 1992. And so then I went out there. I read the Almanac and I tried to study for a month. I couldn't sleep. I was so nervous. And basically, I backed the car into the garage door without putting it up because all I did was study the old act. So I got out there. You do five shows in one day, five minutes between shows. And when Alex, the late Alex Trebek, was done reading a question, a red light comes on around the screen. And if you buzz in before the red light, they lock you out a tenth of a second each time you buzz in. So the trick is to hit the buzzer. You can't wait for the red light. You have to hit the buzzer and hope you hit it right when the red light comes on. But so if you don't get in, you don't know if you're too early or too late. So you have to adjust your strategy. And in the commercials, they try and help you. They try and say, I think you're buzzing too late. They want a close game. Mm. So the first game, I had more than double the other people. I won easy. And then we ate lunch. And so and it's five shows in a day. I was the third show of the day. And I killed, I mean, I really was good the first game. I don't know why. But then we ate lunch and I sat next to the person who would actually beat me. And I started talking about, hey, the key to this game is the buzzer. Being an idiot that I am, I talked all about, because they were, they thought I was really good because I was good the first game. So then right after lunch and the next game, I'm in last place going the final Jeopardy. I need them both to miss and me to get it. And so the question was, last blood type to be discovered. I said, A, B is confusing. Maybe they thought it was A, maybe they thought it was B. So I said, what is AB? And I got wow. it right. But I didn't think they'd both get it wrong. They both said, oh. So then I went from last place to first place. Then we changed clothes. And then the, the next game, I just didn't play well. And he was really good. Turned out he won five games in a row, was an undefeated champion, a retired Army guy. Because you gave away your secrets too, huh? <laughs> uh, I, I like to think that, but he would have beat me. He was good. I'm so grateful that they actually had the clip on YouTube that we got to see it, that it's on there. Oh, yeah. One of the Kelly MBAs put that up. And I think the whole episode, I think the whole episodes are up, but I don't want to see myself 29 years ago. <laughs> if you, just one statistic on Jeopardy, it seems your financial professionals can get this answer. What fraction of the people who go on Jeopardy don't win a game? So you might say two thirds because there's three people, but it's higher. But it's got to be more. Like seventy five percent. Wow. Because some people, like Ken Jennings, hog all the wins. Ah, I have a joke for you. Oh, good. What's the plural of anecdote? Is it anecdotes? No. Data. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. How about that? That's no, a that's good fantastic. Wayne Winston joke. Right there. <laughs> I'll have to use that when I give webinars and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm a data-driven person, and like where this is really important is like on the COVID. So people will say, I know one person who got vaccinated who got sick. But then the, the plural of that anecdote, and that's true, but the plural of that anecdote is 99% of the people in the hospital haven't been vaccinated. Yeah. 
And so that's that's the data with 165 million people haven't had the shots. So there's lots of strange things with COVID. I mean, I, what we're going to be talking about with you is decision making and statistics and how to think about that. When I was coming on, I was thinking to myself, is the world the world must be driving you absolutely crazy nowadays? Like with the Internet well, yeah. and people making up their own realities, like does the world make you crazy right now? Yeah, I mean, it really does. I mean, it just I, I'm the misinformation and the stuff like that. I mean, it's spread mis, misinformed posts will spread quicker than informed posts. But I mean, it where I think the, your financial professionals, here's a point that I think is very important. When we look at data, so people make forecasts for the future, the people listening to you have to forecast stock prices, interest rates, things like that. So artificial intelligence is a big thing now. And so you give artificial intelligence a lot of data, then it's going to make try and make forecasts or you use algorithms to forecast the future sales of your product. But the problem is, suppose you use the last five years of data to forecast sales of your product or to forecast stock prices or interest rates. Well, the last five years, five years of data is 2017 through 2021. So the data before 2020 to me is useless. I mean, we have a new world. We have no idea where this world is going. So one thing to discuss that I think would be helpful is talking about common mistakes in data. Um, for, for instance, like when, when is something statistically significant and, and so significant that you can make decisions off of it? Well, that's a good question because if you like – if you think something should have a 10% chance of happening and that's your null hypothesis and you look at a million people and 10 and a half percent of the time it happens, it'll be statistically significant, but it's not practically significant. So I think that's the question. Things can be statistically significant and a big issue. This came up in psychology. There's a book, uh, I forget the name of it, but it just came out half the stuff, roughly half the studies that clinical psychologists do and publish in top journals They'll say statistically significant at the 5% level, which means what happened in the study has less than a 5% chance of happening, given your hypothesis. When people replicate those studies less than half the time, can they replicate them? Interesting. So, I mean, I, mean, I don't not want to accuse people of being dishonest, but I mean, it just means that you can cherry pick, like studies that show drugs are not effective don't get published. I mean, so basically there's going to be, so if you test 100 drugs and none of them are any good, Five would come out looking good by statistical significance. Those are the ones that are going to get published, and the other 95 are not are not going to get published. So you try and do meta analysis, put everything together, but it's really hard. Statistics can be very misleading. Just one example. So if you try and predict the price of the Dow the Dow index tomorrow from the Dow index today, and use 20 years of data, you get an R squared of 99 percent. So this is a mistake people make. So 99% of the variation in tomorrow's Dow index is explained by yesterday's. So why is that? Well, because the market tomorrow will be near what it is today. That doesn't tell you anything. And basically, it's almost impossible to predict changes in stocks or the market. You can predict the, the value of it. And what we need to know, I mean, some people say they can beat the NFL betting maybe by picking one or two games. But there's a site your listeners should look at, predictiontracker.com. It shows how Vegas does and all the computer systems do. And I downloaded the data in the last five years. Vegas's predictions beat all the computers. Now, maybe you can pick a couple of games a week and make money. But basically, if you want to pick every game every week, 
Vegas is better than you. I mean, they just, I mean, I defy anybody to show me somebody who's better than that. Are there stats that you see people use using really often that they shouldn't? Is it just, you know, insignificant sample yeah. sizes? What what major mistakes do you see people making? Okay, well, I, yeah, I guess back to the previous question in this one, what data do you need to solve your problem? I think I'm pretty good at this. You give me a problem, I can figure out what data I need. So let's talk about NBA basketball. We worked for the Mavericks for 10 years. They had the second best record in the league when we worked for them and they won a championship and we worked for the Knicks one year. That sounds like that's really bad, <laughs> but the year we worked for them, they won 54 games and they won a playoff series. That's their best performance in the last 20 years. And we analyzed playoff player and lineup data. Are you arguing causation or correlation? I think a small cause. So you, you have to, you ask a question in your business. Okay. What am I going to sell the next year? Or you, what's going to happen to the market? And you try and figure out what data you need to solve the problem. So basketball, what defines a good player? So I think we were the first to sort of change the view of this. You'd look at everybody before us looked at the box score. So the box score has points, shooting, rebounds, assists, turnovers, block shots, steals. So the problem with the box score, it's weighted towards offense and basketball's half defense. So what we said, we want to get the data, who's on the court every minute of the game and we want to know how the score moves. If you're a good player, the score should move in your team's favor. So that's a totally different data set. Now, everybody uses that data set. Uh, ESPN has real plus minus, which is very good. And if I could just throw one thing in here, for a lot of the listener, a lot of the uh, our listeners, a really good way to forecast that's in its infancy is use Google Trends. Google Trends gives you searches. Basically, you can go online, you can get monthly sales of every U.S. car, you can get Google searches for every U.S. car and build, it's called Nowcast. Can you use, like, if somebody's going to buy a Subaru, they're going to go online how far in advance? I don't know, a week, a day, a month to search for Subaru online. Okay. And then using those four, you should be ahead of the game. So, I mean, you, it's easy to work with that data. The, there's some tricks you need to know. But that Google Trends data, I think, is waiting to be mined. So we all look for inefficiencies. But a big question is, if you, you come up with the problem you want to solve, what's a good basketball player? Who's a good basketball player? Think of the data will help you solve the problem. If we want to predict sales of uh, 3M painter's tape, what data do we need? We need daily sales. We need to know what the price of the competitors was, was the product on display, stuff like that. That's what we need to know, things like that. So, I mean, I think once you have the right data, the main thing is you got to see for forecast today work out of sample. I mean, as well as they did in sample. And that's something, it's not that hard to do with data that's out there now. So Godfather of Excel might be, is, is that a little bit over the top? Is, is that too over much? the top. So <laughs> I, I would say I'm the best in the world if you combine four things. Okay. Excel, mathematics, knowledge of business and swimming. Oh, there you go. I'd say if you put those four <laughs> together and you weighted them, I might be the best in the world, but I'm not the best. There are people who are better at Excel than I am. Let's put it that way. I think I'm okay. really good and I'm really good at explaining it. But but when you combine the Excel and the math, I think my book is probably about the best-selling book that covers all of Excel's features. As a matter of fact, when they hire a new program manager for Excel at Microsoft, they give them my book. Wow. Because basically they told me that because basically I'm the only book that goes over the 
advanced, there's plenty of good books on Excel, but I think I'm one of the few that goes over sort of the advanced mathematical parts of Excel. And they've added a lot of great new stuff lately, by the way, which I think we'll talk about. So I'm going to simplify an analogy and pretend and do kind of do the opposite of the, the desert island thing. Like you can't take one function. I'm going to say here's five functions. Take one off the list because it's not important. Okay. I'm listening. So VLOOKUP, COUNTFS, SUMFS, AVERAGEFS, and IF. Which oh, function would you leave off? AVERAGEFS for sure. Because you can average. do AVERAGEFS if you have SUMFS and COUNTFS. So I could still survive on my island. <laughs> if your listeners, Winston at Indiana.edu, if they have an Excel question, it doesn't take me much time. I like having questions because I can build webinars around them. Nice. And oh, so nice. basically, I would say over half the questions I get, I can solve by writing a clever if statement. If statement is sort of a way to program in Excel. I want to transition to your book a little bit, your most recent analytic stories. Okay, good. Okay, I have it right here. Yes, there it is. So- Side did all the heavy lifting because that's the division of labor that we have on this podcast. <laughs> um, but I ordered the book. Uh, it hasn't come it's in yet, but I ordered book. it strictly, strictly based off of one four-star review that I saw on Amazon because it was extremely approachable to me. And the headline read, exciting chapters, but shallow for nerds, which is right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, the, the guy the guy didn't like the way I tried to show Bernie Madoff was a fraud. I mean, using you, something you know called, who I'm talking about. using Ben. You know who wrote law. that review? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I read the review. I don't know the guy. But I mean, that's okay. fine. But I mean, so an interesting thing on that, Benford's law, I wonder how many of your listeners know about this. Look at financial statements and here's a question. What fraction of the first digits begin with one through four? So there are nine first digits, right? One through nine. So it turns out roughly 70% of the numbers on financial statements begin with one through four. Wow. And so if you look at Bernie Madoff's made up returns, first of all, he had a sharp ratio, which was out of sight. It was way too high. Nobody had one that good. So that was fake. Uh, And then if you look at his returns, too many of them began with a one roughly speaking, and he violated the Benford's law. But Benford's law is commonly used to spot fraud in financial statements. I'm not sure it always works. But if you see like only 50% of the numbers in a financial statement begin with one through four, it's almost surely fraud. And so, I mean, fraud detection is a big thing. Daniel Vinesh is the guy I'm talking about in the Kelly accounting department. And basically he has a lot of research on, he had a formula called Vinesh's M-score that would hope you figure out the chance that a company manipulated earnings and hedge funds use this for a while but once people use something then it becomes not worth anything because the market adjusts you need market so like a good example in baseball and fielding so the red people didn't understand the importance of fielding in 2008 when the tampa bay rays won the american league they bought up the fielding cheap and they're run by expert bear stearns guys so they saw fielding was cheap they bought fielding they won 12 extra games. Now everybody knows fielding's important. They know how to measure it. I have to ask you this question because this is something I was thinking about. So if you go yeah. back, there's these factors that people say are, are in the market that if you buy them, you'll get higher risk adjusted returns and it's value and it's small cap over large cap. We can check that. Yeah. And and it's amazing know. that ever since like that study has been published since I've been in the market, really, those things don't seem to work anymore. And I wonder, it's well, just yeah, like, if they, it's known, will it not, will it be, you know? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a true statement. And, and people are smart. People want to make money. 
And so basically if people come up with, if, if you make public, that's why if you talk to NBA teams on what they do with analytics, they won't tell you. Yeah. Because it's a competitive market. Your book is so, it's such a great read because you, you get and you answer 61 right. different questions. Like for example, is Carmelo Anthony a hall of famer? Should I go to, to, to state university or Princeton? Do I pay, why do I pay too much on eBay? It was just the coolest read because you're just answering questions and, and, and you're using data That's to how help I with, yeah. Talk about Excel with Wayne, because I do think our audience should know about that. Okay. Thanks. Well, Excel with Wayne uh, partnered with somebody I had a student at the University of Houston, Ryan Vaughn. Uh, we put up 60 hours of video on Excel and analytics, which I think would take you through everything I know about Excel and analytics. We keep uploading new stuff here because, for instance, office, can I talk about the Office 365 yeah, now? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, there's, so there's amazing stuff. And I don't know. I would bet over – I would wager – I might lose, but over half your listeners have Office 365 and just don't know the great things that the Excel team has added. So you have financial advice, financial people. There's a function stock history that you can put in and get daily, weekly, or monthly past stock prices for any stock, most mutual funds, wow. any exchange rate information. You can't get the Dow and the NASDAQ because they don't have access. They didn't pay for that. But if you want to test your financial ideas that you were talking about, Steve, whether they work, you can download daily prices on 10, 15 years of data, and then you can use maybe eight years of data to fit it and see if it works out a sample. Wow. And so like if somebody here listening wants to get a job in finance, I mean, what I, if I was trying to hire somebody, I'd say, hey, show me your system works. Fit it to some data, and then I'll test it out a sample. Show me what you got on this year, these years and test it out. So the stock history function makes it very simple. There's an if x function to make it much easier to do if statements. You don't have to type all the right brackets and repeat if. But the most amazing things they have now, there's something called data types. So basically, Excel can now scrape the web for any piece of data that you want. So basically, if you put in a company like Microsoft and you make it a data type, you can get information on employees, the beta of Microsoft, you put in a city, you're in San Francisco. I can put in San Francisco, I get the demographic information with a function. I get the crime rate. I get the income distribution. I get the degree of income inequality. I can try and predict crime rates based on the demographics and the income distribution in your city. So this is going to revolutionize the way we teach. And so then the thing that your audience really needs to know about is dynamic arrays if they have Office 365. So like you may have 50,000 rows, you, which one column is salesperson, one column is location, and one column is product. You want to know every unique combination of salesperson, product, and location. So there's a function for that called unique now. So if you type equal unique, it gives you every unique combination. Oh, interesting. And if you add new data, it updates to include that. And so all your listeners sort. So you use status sort. There's a sort function now. So if you add new data, your sort will automatically update. There's a filter function. So you might want to find every sale by Adele of painter's tape in March in San Francisco. So it, you can write a function that will pull that out. And if you add new data, it automatically updates. So these, and then uh, see the sort filter, there's a sort by function in unique. Those are the main, there's a couple of other ones, but the sort, sort by filter and unique will revolutionize the way your listeners set up their spreadsheets. Because when they add new data, things will update all the time. 
Nice. Look at Excel with Wayne or just go on the internet. The things I've just talked about, search for them and learn how to use them. You have no idea how more productive and fun your life will be on Excel. And we're going to do webinar. I think we're going to start in the next month doing webinars for 20, 25 bucks, like a webinar on Office 365. That's awesome. For example, a very reasonable price where I'll spend an hour and a half going through these new things. Excellent. So let's with Zoom, of course. Let's transition, and you know, with the last kind of ten minutes we have with you, let's let's kind of talk through some of the chapters in your book. We'll just start throwing chapters at you, and you comment. So here's a chapter: Is the lot of the American worker improving? That's a good question. It depends. So this gets the statistics. What do you look at? So you can look at average. To keep it simple, the government puts out median salary. And that's 50th percentile. Half the people make more, half the people make less. After inflation, we haven't done much better on that. Although I think there's been new research to say if you include social security payments, that may be changed. But if you look at average salary after inflation, it's gone way up. So what? So we use median when the data is fairly skewed and income is very skewed to the yeah. because people make a lot of money like Bill Gates and uh, and basically Jeff Bezos. And so basically median is a better measure of how the average person has done. And so when you say the average has gone way up and the median has not gone up at all, what does that mean? More money's at the top, which is the inequality. Why do we pay so much on eBay? Winners curse because people, because basically people, what you, if you value something, if you win a bid, and this goes for free agents in the NBA and sports. So if you win, a, if your team gets a free agent, it probably means you paid too much because you bid more than everybody else. By the way, if anybody wants a copy of Wayne's book, let me know. I think I'm going to buy a bunch of them and give them as gifts because they're so good. And we're taking- Well, that would yeah, be great. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I think I'll we're- look at, I'll, I'm going to monitor you the- You monitor the that. We're, we're, we're definitely going to buy some books because I think this is- it's, But if you leave a review under five stars on then Amazon- Then we're- we yeah, have that's okay. That, yeah. that what, <laughs> that, I average four and a half stars on my books, Here's so Here's okay. an interesting one. Will my new hires be good employees? So everybody wants to know if you can have a good employee. Okay, so they've done lots of studies. What, what data do you need to see if you have a good employee? So what you need to know is what did you know when you hired them? Interviews, intelligence, integrity, references. So you dump all that stuff in. That's your independent variables. Your dependent variable is how well they did on the job. And I think a lot of this data comes from the armed forces because the armed forces know exactly what's going on when somebody enlists. And then they know exactly how high up they went. Okay. So when the one thing that comes out all the time as being important is intelligence. And basically, after you adjust for intelligence, there isn't much else. Interesting. Do NFL teams pass too much? Uh, the answer is they probably don't pass enough. Mm. So what? You, I'm glad you asked that one, because think of, there are two changes in the NFL in the last 10 or 15 years. Teams used to never go for it on fourth down. Like fourth and one, they would always punt. How stupid can that be? And teams would run and pass roughly equally. When I was growing up, we had the Gale Sayers, the Jim Browns, teams, the running backs were valued. But essentially, you look at what's the right metric in a sport. So in basketball, it's points per possession. Like if you find shooting three-pointers will get you 1.05 points per possession. Shooting a layup will get you 1.3 points per possession. You shoot any other shot, you'll get about 0.8 points per possession. That's terrible. So you shouldn't take those shots. Now I think 60-40, it should probably be maybe 65-35. And so if you look on first down, teams get way more points per play on passes than runs, but most teams run on first down. And so on going for it on fourth down, how would you tell they don't do it enough? 
you look at expected points gained on field goal attempts versus expected points gained on going for it on fourth down. Expected points gained is much better going for it on fourth down. Now, one economist said, even if it's fourth and two on your own five-yard line, you should punt. You should go for it. That's ridiculous. I mean, the key is like in football, you're trying to score the most points. I mean, and passing is much more important than running. So like if you dra- running backs never get picked in the first round now, basically, because they don't matter. They offensive linemen, quarterbacks, the second highest paid position. I mean, actually, the highest paid position, I think, is offensive tackle because a lot of quarterbacks don't get paid that much money. But if you look what percentage of the money that NFL teams spend goes to the passing game, like if you pick a defensive end, you're, it's for the passing game. You pick a linebacker, it can be for both. But a defensive end is more valuable than a defensive tackle because they're the ones who sack people. And so you, you have to really passing off. The best predictor of how an NFL team does is points per pass attempt. Got it. Yards per pass attempt is the key statistic in pro football. Interesting. Did you rank the teams on yards per pass attempt Offense minus defense, you're ranking the teams. There's not much else that matters. Do hedge funds work? This is a good one for our industry. (laughs) There's really limited research on this. I don't know why, because it's hard to get the returns on the hedge funds. And so what you'd have to look at their sharp ratio, you have to look at their risk-adjusted returns because they're supposed to cut risk. And so the studies I could find when I wrote the book, they were really inconclusive. The problem with sharp ratio like our usual measure of risk is standard deviation. So I should have said this earlier. That's not a great measure of risk because it counts upside the same as downside. So like if I have a stock that half the time gains 50%, half the time 150%, give me that stock. I'll get on my hands and knees. Right. But that stock has a high standard deviation. So there's modifications, I think, that Sortino ratio, which they talk about. They talk about Sortino on billions, but nobody would know what it means. <laughs> but I think it, I think it, it counts downside risk more. The stock history function will give you on most mutual funds, if you find the code, letter code for the uh, monthly or daily returns. And so I can do all the calculations on all these mutual funds, and I can see if their recent history is trending down or up. But for hedge funds, it's tough to know. We're, we're going to end here, and it's a nice, easy layup. I doubt it. But <laughs> Can analytics save our republic? Oh, that's a great, uh, great one. So that's like we need the third party. So in other words, I think like 10% of the people vote in the primaries. Who The primaries determine who wins the election. The country has never been more polarized and it's not getting better. And I mean, whether you're far left, far right or in the middle, I think we'd all agree. I'm sure the far left thinks the country's going to hell. The far right surely thinks the country's going to hell. And the people in the middle think the country's going to hell. And so maybe we are going to hell unless we do something about it. And so I think changing the way we decide the elections, I mean, ranked choice voting where you have, like uh, Indiana, we have, I think, 10 Congress people. So we might have a three-person district, a three-person district, and a four-person district. And then basically you do ranked choice voting in the top three win. Then third parties have a chance. And I think we've got to take the money out of financing. I want the little, the, the working man, basically, the person who drives the school bus, the fireman, the person who picks up the trash. I want, I literally, if I wanted to save the Republic, I would use a random number generator, pick 435 people who registered the vote, and that's the House of Representatives. <laughs> that's how I would save the Republic. I mean, I would just have norm, pe- normal people. So one of my students, maybe in, 
maybe one of the students in Steve's class said, "What's I think it was in your class, said, what's wrong with polygamy? Now, there's plenty wrong with polygamy, in my opinion. But when you have lower, lower approval rating than polygamy, you're probably not doing a good job. <laughs> uh, that's that's a good a place as any, gonna, yeah, to end. Uh, okay, all right, thanks. I'm going to go back this. to that Amazon review and say, so the shallow, not for nerds answer to that question is, is yes. yes. Analytics can save the republic. That, that, okay, that's exactly. thank you. Thank, that was great. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you to Dr. Wayne Winston. Go check out Excel for, Excel for Wayne. Uh, the book is Analytics Stories. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. And welcome back to our final segment, as always, the Costanza Corner. And Kurt, you're up. Well, we're really going to end on a high note on this one. Uh, does the name Ibrahim Hamadu mean anything to you? It does not. Uh, should it? Uh, probably not, because <laughs> I don't think you're on Twitter as much as I am. Oh, definitely but not. But there were tons of tweets going around about this guy, Ibrahim Hamadu. I'm probably butchering that name. But it's this ping pong player playing in Tokyo right now in the Paralympics that is playing with no hands. What? You have to Google this guy. What is it's he the playing with? Of, his mouth? He puts the paddle in his mouth. He throws the ball up with his foot. You're it's kidding me. incredible. Wow. Yeah. He lost his arms at 10. And apparently he was really good at soccer too, but he thought ping pong would be more of a challenge. So he got into oh the sport. God. And they're, I think they're in the quarter or semifinals. What an awesome guy. Yes. Here's a guy who, you know, had this adversity. I don't know how he lost his limbs, but but regardless. And just train accident, I believe. Crazy. And then and then he turns it into this where he's a master at something. I mean, I'm just uh I'm in awe of someone like that, is all I can say. Talk about grit, man. More more than you and I will probably ever have combined. It's amazing. Love to see it. So yeah, Ibrahim Hamadu. Shout out to you, man. You've, you've, you've definitely inspired me this week. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.